terms of direct content of the law, there's no uh, direct requirements on farmers or no uh, no direct paperwork associated with farmers. So the law will be put in place at a national level. There will be a soil district set up and the competent authority in Ireland will decide how many so- soils will be sampled. We'll obviously have to incorporate a range of soil types, geoclimatic factors and different enterprises. Hello, I'm Cahill Summers. And I'm Georgia Lynn. We are Chagas Sustainability Advisors, and you're welcome to the Chagas Environment Edge podcast number 68, bringing you the latest information, science and opinion to improve farm sustainability. With the EU's first soil health law being finalised, what does this mean for Irish farmers and landowners? We have heard of the huge benefits multi-species wards bring to the table in reducing chemical nitrogen. But are you aware of the massive benefits in regards to nematodes, soil functions and carbon cycling? Dr. Fiona Brennan, Chagas Senior Research Officer in Soil Microbiology, joins us to discuss all things soils. Hi Fiona, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks Deirdre, delighted to be back. Fiona, the EU have set out its first ever soil health law. Can you tell us just a little bit about it and why it's so massively important? Yeah, so the European Parliament asked the Commission to prepare a proposal for a law in in the area of soil health in 2021. And the Commission have responded by putting together a proposal. Um, It was published in July of this year. um, And since then, there had been an opening for people to put in submissions to comment on the contents of it that closed at the start of this year or start of this month Um, and now at this stage um, it's been uh, considered and eventually it will go to a vote of both the um, parliament and the council and if enacted then we will have the first legal protection of soils in the EU. So why it's important I suppose at the moment soils aren't don't have a legal protection um, not in the same way as we have for our waters for example or air quality or our marine environments there's no formal legal um, requirements to protect soils the commission i suppose is increasingly conscious of the importance of our soils for food production 95 percent of our foods obviously come from soil also fiber fuel but our soils are also critically important in terms of storage of water filtering of water as a home for biodiversity um, and also as we deal with these huge challenges around climate change and climate adaptation, our soils are really going to be critically important in addressing those challenges. So um, so that's the, the reason for it and I suppose the aim is that we uh, restore EU soils to healthy conditions, all EU soils by 2050. So the name of it is the Directive on Soil Monitoring and Resilience. Uh, at the moment, 60 to 70 percent of EU soils are considered in an unhealthy condition. Um, so that's a huge challenge and it's a huge vulnerability uh, for our, our uh, EU um, because you know, we rely on these soils so much. Um, and in some cases, the pace of degradation is increasing and uh, made worse or exacerbated by uh, extreme weather events associated with climate change. So, I mean, this summer we've seen parts of Europe on on fire. We've seen huge flooding. All of these are putting huge pressure on our food production systems and also our soils. 
So we can see losses of soils through degradation, um, through uh, climate change uh, scenarios, and, and also aspects such as sealing, uh, land, land use change, uh, salination, a whole range of threats, uh, I suppose, impact on our soil. So this legal framework, if it is accepted, um, will put in place uh, monitoring uh, protocol across all EU states and it's really about I suppose making sure that the same standards are in place in every country so it's, it's a level playing field um, in terms of monitoring schemes at the moment some countries have them some countries don't the data is very disparate um, people are using different indicators to assess soil health so it's really about coming up with a harmonised way of assessing soils, identifying areas where we might see degradation of soils or a contamination of soils and putting in place measures that will deal with that and, and move us all towards um, I suppose better care and um, of, of this really valuable resource. Soil, of course, is, is non-renewable in human lifetime, so we only have a certain amount of it and it's so critically important. So um, that's what the, this law is about. And um, I suppose it's, there was a previous attempt at putting it in a law back in 2006 and it, it came apart. But there seems at this point in time to be real momentum behind uh, developing some sort of a law. And of course, we've seen the EU um, have policies around soils, a, a strategy for soil for 2030. We've seen soils strongly embedded in the farm to fork, the Green Deal. And we've also seen in this uh, horizon framework, soils or soil health is one of the five missions of, of that. So uh, that's up there with cancer research and um, climate adaptation. So I suppose it's an indication of how seriously the EU is taking soils and soil health. They're, they're obviously worried about it. And, and you know, my background is soils, Fiona, so I, I, I love the idea of this. And I think it's about time that we put more emphasis on soils. But bring it back to the Irish farmer, I suppose, um, when they hear a law coming in, should they be worried or is this a good thing? Yeah, I know, I know none of us want more paperwork, etc. Um, but I think this is a good thing because most farmers realize that soils is one of their most valuable resources. It underpins their their whole system and managing our soils in a good way can reduce input costs, can increase productivity and critically important can make our systems more resilient uh, if you have good organic matter in your soil you have probably better infiltration um, which means you, you hold on to water better but you also are less likely to uh, suffer from from flooding in terms of direct um, content of the law um, there's no uh, direct um, requirements on farmers or no uh, yeah no direct paperwork associated with farmers. So these will, um, the law will be put in place at a national level. There will be a soils, uh, soils districts set up and the competent authority in Ireland will decide how many so soils will be sampled. We'll obviously have to incorporate a range of soil types, geoclimatic factors and different enterprises. There's no provision here for limiting farmers in terms of land use change. And what what is present in several parts of the document is an indication that the EU is keen the farmers are supported 
um, and that there would be national and European funding available to support farmers towards sustainable uh, land use. So I think in general, it's it's very positive and I wouldn't be, as a farmer, I wouldn't be worried about this. Um, but again, we don't know how it would be implemented. It'll be in the form of a directive, which means every member state can implement it in its own way um, to best suit local conditions and sustainable soil management practices that are relevant for our system. Um, so I, I wouldn't, I think in, in general, um, there's, there's no need to fear for farmers. Um, protecting soil health is in everybody's interest. Good news story. Just looking at myself and Deirdre, looking at some of the research that you've published lately, and we're getting very excited. Um, we're big fans of multi-species swords. We talk a lot about it to farmers. Um, but you have come up with some, some of your colleagues, you've come up with a paper with some new findings on multi-species swords and the benefits of soil. Can you tell us a little bit about that, and especially our favourite fellows, the nematodes at the moment? <laughs> yeah, our new favourites. ladies, not just fellows. <laughs> So, um, yeah, this is part of a body work that we've been doing, looking at the impact of agricultural management on soil biodiversity and soil biodiversity function. And, and specifically, we're interested in intensively managed grassland systems. If we diversify swards, and you mentioned there, multi-species swards or mixed species swards, um, what the impact of that would be on soil biodiversity. So mixed species swards are where you have multiple species, as, as the name suggests, but where you incorporate legumes and herbs into your swards as well as the grasses. And the idea is by using complementary and, and all productive species here, but by, by using a mix, you get complementarity and you get uh, increased benefits. So um, my colleague, John Finn and John Stein has been working on this for about 20 years or so. And there is very good evidence at the moment that um, by incorporating multi-species swords, you can maintain or surpass uh, production. Um, under much less nitrogen inputs um, and there's also different associated benefits such as better resilience to drought um, um, better capacity to provide nitrogen from fixation of course um, and also things like reduced nitrous oxide emissions but we what we were interested in in this study was uh, what the impact of soil biodiversity is on soil biodiversity is. So um, in natural systems, there's good evidence that by increasing diversity, you get enhanced uh, benefits below ground. Um, but there wasn't so much evidence in intensively managed systems. And we anticipated that we would see this also in intensively managed systems. And as you know yourself, Cahill, if you take out a spade and dig up a, a piece of a multi-species ward, you generally do see more earthworm activity. You can see better structure. So we hypothesized we'd see this in terms of the composition of the um, uh, microbial community, but also other aspects of soil biota. So this particular paper, we looked at nematodes. Uh, these are tiny little roundworms, um, often given a bad name. People know about potato cyst nematode or other pathogens, but in general, ex extremely beneficial. They're really important in nutrient cycling and nutrient provision to plants, plant health, etc. Um, and we had, a, at the time, uh, an extremely talented postdoc researcher with us, Israeli Koi. Israel is a microbiologist, um, but he also has a graph for nematodes. So he wanted to have a look and see what the impact of this uh, mixed species swords would be on nematodes. 
So what we did was we set up a trial and we uh, systematically uh, manipulated the plant diversity and looked at what the, what the impact was on the nematode communities below ground. And so what we found was 27 nematode taxa um, across the 61 experimental plots. And the, the general findings were we saw a positive effect on the soil nematode community structure and nematode quality indexes where we switched from a monoculture of ryegrass, for example, to a six species, six species, uh, mixed species swards. We also see um, in those diverse swards and more sensitive nematode taxa being present. We also see a lower abundance of herbivores. So herbivores are nematodes that feed on plants and can cause impact on plant productivity. And we also saw a higher abundance of predatory nematodes in those mixed feed swards. So predatory nematodes can eat other nematodes, including parasites of plants. So uh, overall extremely beneficial in terms of the, the picture of of the health of the system so that's very positive for integrated pest management as well it wouldn't just yeah and, and and actually uh, another a phd student that was with us ashley moffat looked at leather jackets and found less damage to mixed species swords than um uh, ryegrass monocultures now we have to get to the the reason for that is it that we have more predatory nematodes that are eating leather jackets or is it a case of not putting all your eggs in the one basket so by having a mixture of plant species you're less likely to get damaged um but we do expect more function where you have these um, more developed um, ecological systems is there any interaction then we've had olaf on the <clears throat> the show before and his worms his passionate about his worms do the nematodes and the worms would they work in tandem with each other or you know are they like katie and caroline <laughs> yeah no they're they're all part of the the tropic web but earthworms are on a huge scale compared to nematodes like nematodes you have to go and look in a microscope to to see them they're very very small down at the micron level whereas earthworms obviously can be yeah up to a meter in length in some parts of the world um but yes similar similar idea they are involved, both involved in nutrient cycling. I remember all last episode, he was talking about the importance of nitrogen cycling, importance of earthworms. Nematodes are the same. So it's all part of the same ecological web. Yeah, it's an important one. I think you've hit the crux of it there. The difference with a farmer looking at an earthworm and you dig up the spade and you can see it, but you can't see like some nematodes or fungi or bacteria and all the functions that you're talking about. And we, you mentioned the soil health law. But I suppose the big thing is trying to convince uh, landowners that, you know, there's a load of other stuff going on in the soils that we really, really rely on. And if they weren't there, we, we, we wouldn't exist either. And it's trying to bring that balance and, and show farmers that there's a lot of stuff cycling. There's a lot of wheels or plates spinning behind it under the soils. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose the earthworm is a perfect poster boy for soil biology because you can actually get a spade and you can see it. But there is this whole other silent majority there that can't be seen. And I suppose that's part of 
what our job is to suppose communicate that to farmers and to do this type of research so that we can actually show them um, by modifying their system that there is benefits um, and and that can be easily, um, I suppose, put into ordinary systems without resulting in yield losses. So I think it's it's a win-win. The new soil health law and the whole education piece behind it will be fantastic for the farmers as well, you know, to, to, to get the message out there to see what is below ground is so vitally important to the health of all of these communities. Yeah, although I'd say some farmers are well ahead of the curve in terms of legal protections. There's some that are really, really interested in soil health and really, I suppose, leading the way in terms of managing their own systems and trying to implement sustainable um, management approaches. So I I think in general, farmers understand the importance of soil they might not know the details of the soil biota but certainly have the interest and a great grow in in trying to manage their systems so they hand it on to the next generation in a better state than they got themselves so i think there's good good awareness but that can also um be improved all the time and the mixture you're talking with fiona it's so grass it's a couple of clovers and it's chicory and plantain that's that's the the mix that your project worked on and yeah, like that's yeah. the that's the common one that's been used in a lot of well irish farms at the moment and um the big thing i suppose i want to see is uh, at the moment the big issue where farmers were struggling was persistency of chicory and plantain but a lot of farmers have got over that now and and i always say to them right even if it only persists for three or four years there's a savage amount of work being done in those three or four years and you're still left with really good grass clover swords But now the next thing people are kind of thinking about, right, how do we keep weeds out of it? So they're trying to get on top of the the little problematic areas, multi-species, and they can do it. But what I keep bringing back to is it's not just about nitrogen. It's all the soil functions that the multi-species brings to the table as well. Um, And on top of that, and and you spoke to us about it before, if you can reduce your chemical nitrogen, that's better for the microbial um, communities as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've come along and... A huge amount in the last few years thinking about the practicalities of multi-species how to manage them on farms and farmers have been great at you know trying out something on their own farms every it'll have to be adopted for every scenario there's not going to be a one size fits all but finding finding a mix that suits your farm and as you say even if you get some of those species in for a couple of years the impact on soil structure um, soil organic matter they're hugely beneficial uh, and and sometimes people forget that even when you sow a ryegrass monoculture the composition changes over time like you won't have a ryegrass monoculture a year in or two years in um so they all change it's it's a dynamic system and the other thing I would say is generally where you diversify your swords, you have less weed issues um, because basically all the niches are being filled. Um, so um, at John Finn and colleagues have done quite a bit of work on this and they do show that generally you get a reduced issue um, with weeds um, when you diversify your swords. So that, that's uh, positive at least. Yeah, I think I saw that from memory. It was something like uh, if this sward established well, it was about three to four percent weeds after two years whereas the monoculture was up on 16 17 percent so that's that's huge yeah it can be beneficial um but again it's something that farmers have to try out bit by bit and find a system that works for their farm um but they've always been usually able to adapt and, and adopting a flexible approach to find something that works for them 
suppose animal health and animal performance has increased as well from from having the multi-species as well. Yeah, absolutely. And there's some lovely work coming out of um, UCD. Um, I think it's the Multi for More project or Smart, Smart Swords showing yeah, benefits in terms of animal health, but also animal live weight gain um, on calves. I think UCD Lions had reported there recently. So it, so it is very positive um, on intensively managed systems uh, to incorporate. Just to clarify there, if you are fortunate enough to have something like a semi-natural grassland on your farm, we would definitely not be recommending that you plow them up and put multi-species. These, this is for systems that are already being intensively managed and maybe might just have a monoculture of grass present. Um, that's where the benefits would come. But multi-species grasslands, we still have to explore there. Um, I suppose soil biology, and we're we're doing some work on that now to see how different that they are from from intensively managed agronomic systems. You mentioned community structure in one of your papers. What does this mean, Fiona? Yeah, it, it's it's simply just the composition of the community, the different the relative proportions of the different types of organisms. So uh, we obviously want lots of biota in our soils, but we also want a diversity of biota. So we don't want, for example, a soil that has just ants in it and nothing else, or, you know, we want this mix. And so, so community structure is basically the different organisms that are present and the relative abundance. And what would you be looking for in a healthy soil? A diversity, um, okay. so a whole range of different organisms. So for example, nematodes, they're quite nice as an indicator. And um, what's really nice, and I'm not a nematode specialist, but by looking at their their mouth parts, you can see what their functional group is. So some of them, for example, feed on bacteria, some feed on fungi, some feed on other nematodes. And by looking at their mouth parts, you can tell what their uh, ecological niche is, if you like. So what you would like in a nematode community is, is a diversity. If you end up with just bacterial feeding nematodes, it's a sign that your system might be out of sync. Whereas you need this complexity of the community structure. You need the, the lower levels, but also the higher levels. So you need nematodes that eat other nematodes, omnivores, predators. Um, and, and that's what we've seen in this study is that the complexity of the community increases when you change your above ground diversity. Yeah, more diverse community brings more skill sets to the table, better functions. Uh, someone said to me before, it's a bit like, I'm sure an electrician and a carpenter would build a house for you, but you'd prefer to have a block layer and a plaster and a, and a tiler maybe to do it as well, so you get a better house. Um, Fiona, you have another paper out lately as well, um, and you're looking at intensively managed farmlands and how the soil microbiome is affected and, and carbon cycling is affected. Can you tell us a little bit about that as well? Yeah, so this is work led by Kerry Ryan um, as part of her PhD. She looked at the impact of diversifying swards on below ground diversity at depths. So essentially, we looked at the whole range of communities, monocultures of different species, for example, different grass species, different legumes, different herbs. And then if we mix the species and we looked at the microbial community down the depth profile, so right down to, uh, I think it was 90 centimetres and depth and what the impact of, of the um, plant species was in that. So the main take home points were that the plant species diversity impacted 
um, the bacterial and archaeal populations in the top 15 centimetres, the fungal populations in the 15 to 30 centimetres. And what we did see, um, which was quite interesting, was the capacity of the communities to cycle carbon in the lower layers of the soil um, was impacted where you had either a chicory monoculture or a mixed species which included chicory, which is a deep rooting species. So essentially um, certain enzymes that are involved in carbon cycling, like beta-glucosidase, beta-xylodase and chitinase, which are involved in the carbon cycling, their potential activity um, was greater when you had these species, which could potentially have implications for how carbon is cycled at lower levels. And I suppose this is in, in line with what we might think about conceptually. So if you have a grassland monoculture, say a ryegrass, um, it's very densely root, rooting, but it's all in the top, say, 20 centimetres. So all the carbon, um, all the food for the microbes is being deposited in that layer. Whereas where you have a deeper rooting species like chicory, and it can go down right really far, maybe a metre or so, you're having carbon deposited further down and the soil layers, um, which can potentially, I suppose, impact the storage of carbon. So our, our, particularly in, in this part of the world, we have a lot of carbon in our top soils, but further down the profile, there's less carbon and perhaps more potential for storing carbon. And as we know, um, a, a lot of our very strongly kept uh, carbon in soil or strongly adhered carbon in soil is in the form of microbial necromass or dead microbial bodies, if you like. So it's important that carbon is cycled through microbes. Um, now, we don't have any direct evidence in this paper for storage. We weren't measuring that. But what we, what we have seen is increased capacity to uh, cycle carbon. Um, so it's interesting, it's indicative, um, we'll have to look into it in more detail, but certainly again it's looking at, you know, possible other benefits to these mixed species swords. Well it makes sense, at least if that carbon's down deeper, it's below the plough layer and safer that it won't be ploughed and maybe released again or, or let off. Yeah, and, and, and actually microbial um, populations decrease with depth, so there's less uh, microbes there that may be uh, likely to use it and respire it back out. Um, so it, it, it's, it's an avenue that a lot of people are looking at in terms of increasing carbon sequestration, whether we could actually store carbon further down in the profile. And, and that might be one mechanism of um, getting carbon further down through the exudates, but also like the plant material as plants die or, cell, or leaves or stuff fall off. That's a method of getting carbon back into the soil and potentially helping with the, the storage. Yeah, I, I will finish up now, Fiona, because you're after giving us a mine of information and I'm sure we're going to talk to you again next year because you have a lot coming down the line But look at things, especially with the new soil health law. But I'll leave you one little thing to think about. You might watch it coming up to, um, we're nearly into December now, but I saw the field there lately. and the f Everyone's seen the field. It's not about the field. It's not about the boundaries. It's about the soil that grows, the, the crops. So all farmers love land, but it's 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 the soil that, that grows everything. And um, it's great work you're doing and look forward to seeing what you come to us with in the future. Thanks a million for your time. A pleasure. Thanks so much. That's it for this episode of the Chagas Environment Edge podcast. Thanks to Dr. Fiona Brennan. 
Jagat Senior Research Officer in Soil Microbiology for joining us on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Cahal Summers. And I'm Georgia Glenn. Join us next time for the Chagas Environment Edge podcast, signpost to farm sustainability. <laughs>